I appreciate you being in the house of God tonight. And we're going to get into our Bible study. If you have your Bibles, grab them, get them close. And uh, you can be seated. We're going to be looking at several passages of Scripture, and, and we won't begin with any one verse. Uh, tonight we're going to be looking at part two of how to win the battle within. How to win the battle within. Because the battle for your soul and the battle for your faith is fought on the inside. It's not things that others can typically see. And uh, if you're battling lust, if you're battling temptation, if you're battling anger, depression, all of those inward things that grip us, those things that can slip into our lives, if you're battling any of those things, tonight we're talking about how to win the battle for those things. And uh, if you missed last Wednesday night's lesson, part one, uh, you'll want to go back and get the CD or go uh, to the church website and look at the podcast for that. And uh, I'd love to do a review, but if I review, I'll get preaching on it. And then I'll preach all of last Wednesday's lesson over again. And as much as you'd like me to preach two sermons in one, uh, I'm going to refrain from doing that. And we're going to jump right into part two. And so I'll take you to the next slide. And this is number five on our list. Again, if you're just coming in, you'll want to go back and, and pick up. Uh, I was talking to someone about this list uh, and because it is long, in fact, we're probably going to turn this into a three-part series. But one of the things about our culture today is that people want a quick fix for everything. You know what I'm talking about? We want to take one pill and push one button and hit the microwave and have the, you know, have the prime rib ready in five seconds. But when it comes to spiritual things, many times there are no shortcuts to health and strength. And, and so... If you're looking for a, a Twitter-friendly list or just a quick list, uh, this is not the right lesson for you because when it comes to spiritual things, sometimes we have to be, uh, we have to be thorough. How many want to be thorough when it comes to your salvation, when it comes to being right with God? And so number five on the list of how to win the battle within, it seems easy, but uh, it really is true. Read the Bible daily. Look at your neighbor and say daily. That means every day. Read the Bible daily. Uh, this is one of, if you've been around my teaching or preaching long enough, you know this is something I come back to all of the time because I'm constantly amazed at how many people uh, claim to be Christians and yet they are not in their Bibles on a daily basis. Friends, you cannot have victory in your life as a Christian if you are not spending time daily in the Word of God. We have got to open our Bibles and intentionally read the Word of God. And, and, and I mean do more than just a little, now I lay me down to sleep and I'm going to fall asleep three seconds into this Bible verse at bedtime. Everybody okay? I mean open up your Bible and study the Word of God. If you need direction, open up the Word of God. If you need a, a touch in your life, open up the Word of God. If you want to hear the voice of God, open up the Word of God. If you want healing in your life, open up the Word of God. In the Word of God, there's strength, there's power, there's authority. And, uh, and it is the sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. Last week, we talked about 
putting on the helmet of salvation, but you also need the sword of the spirit. Uh, it will give you power. It will give you authority. And when the enemy begins to attack your mind, you need to have the sword of the spirit ready so that you can come against every attack of the enemy. Uh, when Jesus was baptized and he went down and John the Baptist baptized him, he did it as an example for us. The Bible says that immediately after he was baptized, he was carried up into the wilderness. And it was in the wilderness where he uh, was tempted sorely of the devil. How many remember that story? And Satan began to tempt him, and Jesus was fasting. He was praying. He was in a wilderness place, and the devil began to attack his mind. And the first thing that I want you to notice from that story is that when Jesus was baptized, that was an intensely spiritual moment. The heavens opened, a dove descended, the voice of God spoke from the heavens. What an amazing spiritual moment that was. And immediately after that powerful moment, he was placed in one of the gravest temptations of his entire life earthly ministry. The point that I'd like someone to understand is that many times when we go through one of our most powerful spiritual experiences, that's when the enemy comes in like a flood. And that's why you can have a powerful Sunday morning or a powerful Sunday night church service. Has anyone else ever noticed that you can, you can have a powerful Sunday morning service and then you leave that service and it seems like hell is just coming against you. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? You can have tongues and interpretation on a Sunday night and, and uh, 10 people get the Holy Ghost and people baptize and get slain in the spirit. And then the minute you get in your car, it just feels like all hell is coming against you because the enemy will intentionally attack you when you are coming out of one of your most profound spiritual experiences. I hope you don't think it's an accident that it happens that way. The enemy knows what he's doing, and he wants to discourage you the moment that you have tried to do something right for God. I tell people all the time, who, uh, people who are battling addiction, uh, people who are, who are trying to change their lifestyle and make drastic changes in their life, one of the things that I always tell them is the moment that you make up your mind in an altar, the moment you cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, I want to change my life. The moment you make a declaration that I'm going to take a stand and I'm going to make a change, you can be sure the devil is going to hit you with everything that he's got. He's going to throw the kitchen sink at you. If he can find an old Buick out in the backyard, he'll throw that at you. Anything that he can do, he's going to hit you upside the head with it. And it was no different for Jesus. He comes out of the waters of baptism, steps into the wilderness of temptation. That's how the enemy operates. But I'm going to tell you how you overcome the devil when he starts attacking you in those moments. You do it just like Jesus did. You say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You need to have the word of God hidden in your heart so that when the enemy starts saying, why don't you just taste a little bit of that? You start saying, it is written, devil. I'm not touching that. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that because the word of God is already in my heart. 
And I know better than to play the games that you're trying to make me play. The problem is, if you have not studied the word of God for yourself, if you haven't put the word of God in your heart, you won't know how to respond to the devil. He'll tell you to, because remember, the devil is a liar and he's the father of all lies. Isn't that what the Bible says? He's a deceiver. And so he, most of the time, Satan will try to get you to do things that, seem like it might would be okay you ever notice how he does that he'll kind of wrap it with just enough good stuff with just enough truth he'll try to make it seem just okay enough to where you think well maybe that might would be all right for me to do but if you know the word of god you can recognize the trickery that he's trying to throw at you without knowing the word of god you will be defenseless when he comes to you looking like an angel of light Anybody ever had the devil come, come at you looking like an angel of light? Did you know he can do that? He, he, will, he will come and he will try to wrap himself up in something very, very nice. Ladies, lady, single ladies, you need to know that the devil, he'll come with a great big old toothy smile. And he'll be charming and handsome. And he might even quote some scripture to you. But you go ahead and rebuke him in Jesus' name. Because if you have the word in your heart, you can say, get thee behind me, devil. Amen. Even if his name is Steve or something else. Just say, get thee behind me in Jesus' name. I hope there's no Steves here tonight. I'm sorry if there are. Praise God. So we need to hide his word in our heart so that we can know how to respond to temptation. You will always, you will always struggle knowing how to respond to temptation if you are not confident in the word of God. You need to be confident in the word of God. And let me just get on a little soapbox that I get on quite a bit, but I'm going to just, here I go. If I had one, I'd step up. I'm stepping up on it right now, okay? It, we have one of the, the, the most intelligent pastors in all, not just in Pentecost, but in all the world. Literally one of the smartest theologians in the country. That's our pastor. All right, that's a wonderful thing. He knows Greek, Hebrew. He knows, he, know, he knows things that some people only dream of knowing. And he's got an IQ that you can't even get close to. You can't even count high enough to get to his IQ. That's wonderful. And it's wonderful that he knows the word backwards and forwards. But when you stand before God on judgment day, it's not going to be enough to say, well, my pastor knew Greek and Hebrew and he knew the Bible backwards and forwards and he read it and I was confident that he was a student of the word. You need to be able to stand before God and say, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee, O God. You're going to have to know the word for yourself. Yes, you are. Because, listen, uh, we, have, we have a lot of good church around here. We have Sunday morning. Uh, we have Bible study at 10 o'clock. This is just a good reminder for some of you that forgot what our schedule is. 10 o'clock, Sunday school, 1045, we have church. We still have church at 630 on Sunday night. All right, we got about three people who are excited about that. And then we have, we have Tuesday night prayer. And then we have what we're doing right now, midweek Bible study. As much as that sounds like it is, and that sounds like a lot, you cannot take 1,189 chapters of the Bible and go through each and every one of them two or three times a week uh, throughout the year. You just, you just can't do it. 
You have got to be willing to open up the word of God for yourself and say, Lord, I want to know it. I love it. I need it. It'll change me. And by the way, when you spend time in the word throughout the week and and you come to church on a Sunday morning, you're going to come armed and ready. And when the preacher begins to preach, it's going to strike a chord in your spirit. You're not going to come thirsty and famished. Can you imagine if you didn't eat all week long and then you went to a buffet? You'd almost die, wouldn't you? I did that one time. We, our church did a three-day fast, and we ended the fast at a Chinese buffet. And I just want you to know that is one of the most evil things that you can ever do in your entire life. Do not end a three-day fast at a Chinese buffet. But a lot of people come to church, and they, they, are, they have... They have not consumed the word of God. And so they're famished. They're starving. And and then the preaching goes forth. And then they're not able to respond in a healthy way. They don't get what they need out of it. But if you are consuming the word of God on a daily basis, when you finally get to the house of God and the word goes forth, it's going to be like dessert. It's going to be like marrow on your bones. It's going to be powerful. It's not going to just be something where, where you're fighting for your life. You're going to be able to come and be, have sustenance and be blessed above and beyond just surviving. We don't just come to church to survive. We come to the house of God because we're like-minded and we're forsaking not the assembling together of ourselves. Amen. All right, so I'll take you to the next slide. We're talking about how to win the battle within. And this one is very important. Number six, can we read this together? Submit yourself to the Bible and to pastoral authority. I'm going to read it again. Submit yourself to the Bible and to pastoral authority. Now, the reason I know I just my point was just a moment ago that you need to read the Bible, study the Bible, hide it in your heart and know it. But, you know, a lot of people read the Bible, but they don't submit themselves to the Bible. Having knowledge of the word of God alone is not enough. For example, I can know that the speed limit is 35, but if I'm driving 105, Knowing the speed limit didn't do me any good, did it? And if the police officer pulls me over, not that I've ever had any experience with this, but if the police officer pulls me over and says, sir, you're going 105 and a 35, and I say, yes, officer, but I knew what the speed limit was. That's not going to help me, is it? In fact, that's going to hurt me. That's going to cause me a lot more. In fact, it would be better for me to say, officer, I had no idea. I thought it was 105 here. I thought we were in Germany on the Autobahn. I I, I must have just been temporarily insane for a moment there. But, But to admit, hey, I knew it, but I just didn't do it. Can you imagine when we stand before God? Here's something that I think the Bible holds up. It's going to be much harder for people who knew the word and were not obedient to the word than people who never heard the truth. And so if you have been receiving the word, but not submitting yourself to the word, that's a very dangerous position to be in. In fact, uh, I've said this many times, but disobedience invites the demonic. Oh, we're going to get scared tonight, aren't we? Disobedience invites the demonic. If you look at the story of King Saul, how many remember King Saul, the first king of Israel? 
stood a head and shoulders above everybody else, powerful, uh, powerful man. And, uh, and the people wanted a king. They cried out for a king, and God acquiesced. Samuel anointed him, and he became the first king of Israel. And for a time, he seemed like a good king. In fact, for a while there, he seemed like a godly man. He was submitted to the prophet Samuel. He listened to the prophet. He was obedient in his sacrifices to the Lord. He listened to the Lord. Yeah, he tried to do everything as he should do. But there came that point in his life where he started becoming more and more disobedient, not just to God, but when the prophet, remember the very first thing that got him in trouble is he refused to obey what the prophet Samuel told him to do. He killed people that he shouldn't have killed. He offered sacrifices when he shouldn't have offered sacrifices. And even though his intentions might have started off okay, he was in disobedience. And so it created an environment in his life where he progressively backslid. And then he got to the point, remember, at the end of his life, he's consorting with witches. Yes. He's doing things he never thought he would be able to do. Involved in things he'd never do. In fact, his mind was so troubled. We're talking about how to win the battle for your mind, how to win the battle within. His mind was so troubled that he got to the place in his life where the only way he could get any relief from the depression, from the demonic oppression, and, and from the trouble in his spirit, the only way he could get any relief was to call for young David and say, David, I want you to come and I want you to play that harp and begin to sing and worship the Lord. And when David would begin to praise God, suddenly the atmosphere would change and Saul would feel just a little bit better for just a little while longer until he got so bad that even when David would praise, he would grow angry until one day he threw a javelin at David and tried to kill him while he was praising. Disobedience will get you to a place where you hate praise, you hate worship, you hate other people who are anointed, you hate anyone who threatens anything, anyone who causes you to be uncomfortable with your sin, you'll start to hate them. I've already got y'all a little bit tense tonight, and so I'm just going to go ahead and preach it like I feel it. Because I can tell I'm not going to get you all out of that feeling. So I'll just go all the way. We'll just double down. Have you ever noticed people who backslide and they walk away from holiness and they walk away from the church? And maybe they go, you know, no one backslides anymore. We know that, right? No one ever backslides. They just go from a truth preaching church to a church that tells them they're fine even though they're not fine. I told you we'll just go ahead and double down. We'll get real tense here. Anyone notice that? No one backslides. They just, they just go over to a church that tells them they can do whatever they want. And, uh, and, but have you ever noticed? This is always amazing to me. If you see people who, who do that kind of thing, they, they get to a place where they hate people who are living with convictions in their lives. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Let's just be honest. They get to a place where they hate holiness. They hate righteousness. They hate worship. And, and instead, church becomes kind of like a social club, and, 
You know, they go talk about the latest football game and things like that, and it just becomes more of a social thing. And they, now, here's, here's the thing. I can, I can talk with anyone, anywhere, anytime. We can debate the scripture, and we can have a disagreement over scripture. In fact, I long for those days. I miss the days where you could debate scripture with someone and have a disagreement. Nowadays, when people backslide, they don't even care what the Bible says anymore. Have you ever noticed that? They're, they're not having a, a long debate and saying, Here, here's, you know, I, here's where I disagree with you. They're just saying, I don't feel like doing that because we're a feelings-based society now. But I'm always fascinated by the fact that when people walk away from godliness, they walk away from faithfulness, they get to a place where they hate what they used to be. That's because disobedience invites the demonic into your life. It's in, for them, it's like Saul. It's the spirit of Saul. It says, I'm not content to just be backslidden myself, but I want to destroy the Davids around me. I want to destroy the people who have a touch of God on their life. I want to I destroy the people who have a heart after God. They just, they just want to be a worshiper. They just want to be a servant. And, and I see them killing giants, and I hate them. And, and I see them composing new songs unto the Lord, and I hate them for it. And, and I see them dancing before the Lord, and I hate them for it. It's the spirit of Saul. And if you ever feel that spirit creeping into your life, you better find a place and say, God, I rebuke the spirit of Saul. I don't want it anywhere near my life. I don't want it anywhere near me. And if you ever find yourself at a place where you hate people's praise, you hate their righteousness, you hate their dedication, you hate their convictions. Since we're tense, I'm just going to go ahead and go here. When it comes to convictions, you know, there are personal convictions. How many believe that? There are personal convictions that may not necessarily be for everybody. And we are in a culture now where people will mock, I'm talking about church people, will mock people for their righteous convictions that God put in their heart. Children of God have no business ever making fun of anybody for a conviction that God put in their heart. You don't have to like it. You don't even have to agree with it. But we have no business mocking it or making fun of it or putting them down for it. In fact, Paul is very, very clear in the book of Romans that you're going to be in a lot of trouble if you start tearing down other people's personal convictions because if God puts a conviction in your heart, Brother Collins, and then you're disobedient to the conviction that God gave you, then you are being disobedient to God. And how would it be for me if I went to Brother Collins and said, Brother Collins, I don't think you need to worry about that, but, but Brother Ryan, God put that conviction in my life. Oh, that's crazy. I would be coming against what God has put in his life, and now I am in opposition to God himself. What a dangerous place to be. And so we need to respect others' convictions. Everyone said respect. So here's the problem when you are not submitted to pastoral authority and you're not submitted to the word of God. It produces guilt. It produces condemnation. It produces pain. It produces rebellion. And all of that brings spiritual resistance into your life. 
And so a lot of people are struggling with all kinds of feelings and all kinds of things that they can't get victory over. And all they would have to do is submit themselves to the word of God and submit themselves to the man of God. And all of a sudden things would start moving and operating in their life the way that it ought to work. And some would say, amen. Remember the prodigal son. The prodigal son was in a pig pen. He was miserable. He had squandered his birthright. He had been rebellious to his father. He was out of the will of God for his life. And he's in that pig pen and he's miserable. Let me tell you what a prosperity preacher would have done. A prosperity preacher would have come to him and said, all you got to do is name it and claim it and stay in the pig pen and you'll be fine. Let me tell you what a lot of modern preachers would have done. They said, you just got to have a positive attitude. Just stand up and just go out and do what your heart tells you to do. Just follow your heart. It'll feel right. If it feels right to you, do it. Doing what felt right is what got him in the pig pen in the first place. Oh, somebody's going to preach with me in a moment here. I said, doing what felt right to him is what got him in the pig pen in the first place. That's where a lot of these preachers are getting it wrong. They're telling people to do what got them addicted in the first place. What he needed to do was get out of the pig pen and make his way back to the father's house and submit himself to the father's authority. He went to the father and he said, I would rather be a servant in this house. I'd rather be a servant here then be back in that pig pen. You know what he was really saying? Father, I submit myself to your authority. I submit myself to your will. I humble myself in your presence. Whatever I've got to do. I used to be proud. I used to be arrogant. I used to want to do just whatever I wanted to do. But Father, I am willing to do whatever I have to do to be submitted here and to be a part of this household. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And that is exactly what God wanted him to do. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. He came, he humbled himself, and when he did that, the Father welcomed him back into his home. That's really what we need to do. You know, if he would have ignored the pain, he would have stayed in the pig pen. Oftentimes, God will allow us to get to a place emotionally. Everyone said emotionally. I know we're uncomfortable with this, but we're talking about emotions, guys. That's okay. Sometimes God will get you to a place where you are so emotionally challenged, where there's so much turmoil. I, I used to hear my mom pray uh, years ago when, when, I would, when I was a teenager. I needed a lot of prayer. And, uh, and I would hear her pray over me. And, and there were some times, just like every teenager, just like every teenager, where, uh, you know, I was walking that fine line between heaven and hell. Anybody ever walked that fine line? I mean, just, I mean, it was a balancing act. And I would, I would hear her pray. She didn't know I could hear, but she'd get up early in the morning and she'd pray in her room, shut the door. But, you know, when mama's praying, you can hear it. And she would, and she'd pray, Lord, don't let Ryan sleep until he gets his heart right with you. And then nighttime would come around, and I'd lay in bed, and I'd hear my mama's prayer. Lord, don't let it. And I'd lay awake all night long. You know what? I'm, I'm thankful for that. I needed to go through that. Not every negative emotion, not every painful thing that we feel 
is a bad thing. Sometimes it's God calling us to get up out of the pig pen and go back to the Father's house and get our hearts right, get our minds right, get our spirits right, uh, submit ourselves, humble ourselves. And it's a powerful thing when you do that. And by the way, God will never reject you. God will never reject you. God will never reject you. No matter how far you think you've gone, there is always room in the Father's house when you come back. All right, we'll take you to the next slide. I'm moving quickly here. Sister Cole, for people that are trying to win the battle within, they need to pray, really pray. Look at your neighbor and say, pray. Now look at him and say, really pray. I mean, really pray. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. We've already talked about reading your Bible daily, but we should also be praying on a daily basis. And, and let me just throw something in here. Praying over your food does not count. <laughs> now I lay me down to sleep does not count. Parents, saying that little bedtime prayer with your kids for 30 seconds, that doesn't count. That's not the kind of prayer that I'm talking about. I had a guy tell me one time, preacher, I do pray every day. I, I pray with my children at bedtime every night. I said, how, how, really? That's wonderful, but what are you doing? Well, you know, I, I, I lay him in the bed and I say, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the day. Keep us safe in Jesus' name. And I said, that's wonderful. Do that every night. Maybe make that a little longer so your kids can learn how to pray. But then you need to go pray even more than that. I'm talking about the kind of prayer that touches God. I'm talking about the kind of prayer where you pray until you speak in other tongues. I'm talking about the kind of prayer where you're on your face before God saying, Lord, I need you to take my heart. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to purge me, God. I need you to touch my life. I worship you. I magnify you. Put a little praise in with those prayer requests until all of a sudden you're feeling the anointing fall on you wherever you are. All of a sudden God is just moving in the midst of that prayer. I'm not talking about powerless prayer. I'm talking about prayer that touches the very throne room of God. I'm talking about prayer that changes your spirit. Prayer that refreshes your mind. Hallelujah. Prayer that will renew you. It will change you. It's a powerful thing. Let me take you to the next slide and show you a, a prayer that I pray whenever I'm struggling uh, internally. It's Psalms five, uh, 51 and 9. It says this, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Everyone said repentance. That's a prayer of repentance right there. That's a prayer of, Lord, uh, I, I've done wrong. I'm sorry. Things aren't right. Forgive me, God. You know, just because you've repented once and been filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized and all of those things, that's just the first of many prayers of repentance that you're going to pray. In fact, most of us probably need to repent just about every day. I know I do. I need to repent just about every day. I find myself where I'm saying, Lord, hide thy face from my sins. And blot out all mine iniquities. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, my, I'm sorry, God. We all get to those moments. And then verse 10, I pray this, I pray this on a regular basis. Can we read it together? Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, 
and renew a right spirit within me. That word renew means I used to have a right spirit, but right now I don't have a right spirit. <laughs> Anybody ever been there before? And so you're praying, Lord, I want you to renew that spirit that I used to have. My heart used to be clean. I, I know when I came out of the waters of baptism, I, I know, God, that, 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 you had, that you had remitted my sins. But, God, life has happened in my spirit and my mind and my flesh is weak and all of these things. So, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Sometimes I move on to verse 11. Cast me not away from thy presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Sometimes we just need the joy of salvation restored to us. Sometimes we just need to go back to that, to that place where God first found us. And we first spoke in other tongues. How many remember the night God first filled you with the Holy Ghost? What a powerful day that was. And, and the joy of the Lord just fell on you. I remember the first time I spoke in other tongues. Uh, when, when, when we got finished, I, I was laughing and I couldn't hardly stop laughing. It was the, just the joy of the Lord. It just, it just filled me with joy. And, and, and for days and days, I would think about God filling me with the Holy Ghost. And I get a big old goofy grin and people... Look at me. Why are you looking silly like that? Because God filled me with the Holy Ghost. It's the best thing that ever, ever happened to me in my life. But, you know, you live long enough and things start happening. And, and every once in a while, you've got to go back and say, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, God. I need that joy that I used to have. It refreshes me. It changes me. It does a work in my heart. Amen. Restore the joy of thy salvation. All right, I'm going to take you to the next slide, and we'll, we'll conclude with this tonight. I could spend a lot of time here, but I, I think I'll just touch on it quickly. We're talking about how to win the battle within. This one is very, very important. Be careful with people and places. Look at your neighbor and say people and places. People and places. You know, there are some people that will rob you of your joy. Amen? And there are some people that will pull you towards unrighteousness. And there are people that want you to fail. Uh, I think I've told this story before, but years ago, as a youth pastor in, in Mississippi, there was uh, a young girl, I think she was about 12 years old, and she started coming to church with a family in our church. They would pick her up and bring her to church on a regular basis. And she came from a very, very difficult home life. Uh, both of her parents were alcoholics, but even beyond alcohol, they were also drug abusers and, uh, and just a very, very difficult home life. And she was coming to church, and she was very hard in her spirit, very broken in her spirit. 
And, uh, but she would come, and she wanted to come. If, I think at first she came because it got her out of the house. And it, it got her away from the abuse and all of those things, and she just wanted to be somewhere where she felt safe. And, uh, and so she came into a loving environment, and didn't take long, a couple weeks, a couple months, she was baptized. A uh, few weeks after that, she received the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. And when she got the Holy Ghost, I mean she got the Holy Ghost. I mean she shouted all over that church speaking in tongues. And uh, the night that she received the Holy Ghost, it was the first time that I had ever seen her smile. I had never seen her smile until the night she got the Holy Ghost. And she started smiling, and it was, she just looked like a different person. Anybody ever seen someone get the Holy Ghost, and they just look like a different person after they get the Holy Ghost? I mean, it just changed. Vis visibly, it, it changed her. Such a beautiful thing. And so she went back home, and I'll never forget. She called me later. She had gone home. And she had told her parents that she got the Holy Ghost and that she, uh, that she wanted to serve the Lord. And, uh, and her dad literally beat her for receiving the Holy Ghost. He was so angry, so angry. Now, I found out later that he was a backslider. Remember, we're talk we were talking about the spirit of Saul a moment ago. He had had the Holy Ghost. None of us knew it, and his own daughter didn't know it. But he was so angry, that spirit of Saul got on him. He was so angry when she did that he literally would torment her over it. And he'd do everything he could to keep her from coming to church. She would, she would just have to fight against it and fight against it and fight against it. And uh, thank God she overcame that, and she's serving the Lord today. Praise God. That's a wonderful thing. But there are some people... That when you start trying to really be serious about doing right, serving the Lord, maybe it won't be an extreme situation like hers. That was a very extreme situation. But there are people that will do everything that they can to drag you down when you start trying to do the right thing. I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to avoid those people as much as possible. You need to choose your friendships carefully. You need, now listen, it's in the notes here. I can't read all that. Maybe some of you have, but love everybody. Be kind to everybody. I'm not talking about being mean-spirited to people. I'm not talking about going to people and telling them, I disown you. I don't want you in my life. I hate you. you you're a hater. You tear me down. I'm not talking about having that kind of spirit, but I'm talking about the kind of spirit where you say, you know what? I'm going to distance myself from people who drag me down, who pull me towards temptation, who pull me towards unrighteousness. I'm going to get as far away from those people as I can because I want to have a right spirit. I want to have, have control of my mind. And so I'm going to surround myself with godly, Holy Ghost-filled people who love the Lord. I'm going to surround myself with encouragers who will lift me up and not tear me down. I'm going to tell you, if you will listen to this advice and remove toxic influences out of your life, it will completely change the way that you are able to have control and authority over your mind. 
because you cannot spend all of your time with toxic people who drag your mind through the mud, who drag your spirit through the mud, and then wonder why you don't have victory. It's because you are surrounding yourself with people who constantly pull you down to the lowest common denominator. Get yourself close to people who love the Lord and believe in you and will lift you up, and it will change your life. It will change your life. It'll draw you close. I often think about David and, and Jonathan, since we're talking about the whole David, Jonathan, Saul situation. You know, Jonathan could have been drawn to the spirit of his father, but instead he was drawn to the spirit of David. And he could have spent all of his time with his father and become like his father, but instead he spent his time with David and he became like David. And that's exactly how it works. If you want to be someone who is a worshiper, find someone who has the spirit of David. Get close to him and say, oh, we're going to do this together. We're going to win this battle together. And then also places. Everyone said places. Places. There are some places that Christians have no business being. That's why we need to be very careful about the, the things that we do, the places that we go. There's no reason for a Christian to ever be hanging out in a bar. Why would you need to do that? Amen? Amen. There's just some places that you need to be careful with. Christians don't need to be hanging out in movie theaters. There's just some places you don't need to be. And there are worldly places that you don't, you don't need to be saturating yourself with that. You don't need to be surrounding yourself with that. But, but even beyond the obvious places, the thing, those are just obvious things that most of us know. But there are places that sometimes will trigger things in your mind. And uh, I, I've told this story before, but I had a friend uh, who, before he was saved, uh, he, was, he was a drug addict. And there was a particular place, there was a particular kind of music that he would listen to that would that would make him uh, remember the way he used to be because he would listen to that kind of music uh, when he would do drugs when he was in the world. But there was also a, a place that he would go and, and it, right around the corner was the drug dealer where he would go and, and purchase drugs. And so he knew and he, he made a decision. And it was just a restaurant it wasn't a bad restaurant. It wasn't anything that most people would have any problem going to. But I remember one day I said, why don't we go to that, that restaurant? It was an Applebee's. I said, why don't we go to that Applebee's? And he said, no, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I can't go near there because every time I go there, I, I feel the pull because I know that my old drug dealer lives right around the corner, and I don't want to be anywhere near that. You know what that is? That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Now, you might say, well, he needs to get the victory over that. He did have the victory over it, but he also was wise enough to know that I'm not going to get anywhere near where I used to be and what I used to do. You don't need to be. Listen. All right. We're, gonna, we're already tense. We're just going to dig in a little bit more. Some of y'all on Facebook talking to your old flames on instant messenger. You don't need to be anywhere near those old places and those old people. You need to get off of that stuff. You need to get away from that stuff because it will pull you in directions that you want, don't want to go. And it will begin to draw you and entice you and cause your mind 
to fight battles that you shouldn't have to fight. Here's the key. If you will use wisdom, you will avoid battles that you shouldn't have to fight in the first place. You can get the victory. There's going to be some battles that you're going to have to fight. You're not going to have a choice. You're going to have to fight it. But you shouldn't invite battles into your life. You shouldn't invite unnecessary battles into your life. You can say, no, 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 I'm going to do everything that I can. If a battle comes and I have to fight it, I'm going to fight it and I'm going to win. But I'm not going to invite little sneak attacks into my life. And I'm not going to let ambushes come into my spirit because I'm hanging out with people and going to places that will cause my mind to come under attack. Stand with me tonight. I know that can be hard sometimes because, you know, I've preached about spiritual Stockholm syndrome before. It's, you know, Stockholm syndrome is that, is, is that mindset that people get where they, uh, they've been abducted or sometimes it's someone who's been abused and they keep going back to their abuser, they keep going back to their abductor, they keep going back to their attacker and they can't live without that, without that person in their life. And sometimes... As Christians, if we're not careful, the Lord is trying to deliver us from things, but we keep going back to places that have us bound. We keep going back to people who, who spiritually abuse us, people that spiritually harm us. And I want to pray right now that God would give us victory over that. God can give you victory over that. And you can surround yourself with people who believe in you and who want you to succeed and want you to be right with God. In fact, why don't you look at the person beside you and say, I want you to make it. I believe you. I know you're going to make it. If it's appropriate, grab their hand and pray for them right now in Jesus' name. Lord, give them victory over their mind, I pray. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. I come against every ambush, every attack of the devil, where that temptation that would try to creep in and take us over, that addiction that would try to grip our lives afresh, I rebuke it. In Jesus' name, places that used to have a hold on us, people that used to have a hold on us. God, I pray that you'd give us victory in the Holy Ghost. Lord, media and entertainment that used to just grip us, God, I pray that it would be loosed from our lives in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you'd give us power and authority in the Holy Ghost. That we'd have victory over our minds and victory over our thought lives. I rebuke the spirit of pornography right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I plead the blood of Jesus. I rebuke the spirit of fear right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, Lord, I rebuke the spirit of depression right now in the name of Jesus Christ that would try to bring a child of God down. Lord, the grasshopper complex, Lord, I rebuke it in Jesus' name. We are well able to take the promised land, Lord. We are able to claim every promise that you've given to us, God. There's no giant too big. There's no wall that's too tall. We claim it all in Jesus' name. And we give you praise. We give you praise. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord. Somebody worship him tonight. Amen, 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 amen.